And so the scripture teaches, though, there's coming a day where there'll be no more poverty, no more prisons, no more murders, no more hospitals, no more armies, no more abused children, no more mental institutions. And we will get a glimpse of what God intended for Adam and Eve, and by application at us, had not sin entered into the world. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled in his series, God's Prophetic Schedule. Today's sermon is entitled, When Heaven Comes to Earth, Part 2. Revelation 20, verse 7 says, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Revelation chapter 20. If you're new to the Bible, it's easy to find. It's the very last book in the New Testament. And if you happen to be joining us for the first time, I'm not working right now through a book of the Bible like I typically do, but I'm doing a special series entitled God's Prophetic Schedule. And even if you have just been a casual reader of Scripture, you cannot miss the fact that the return of Jesus from heaven is a central theme found in the Bible. God is not silent on this subject. There is coming a time when the Messiah will return, when he will rule and literally reign on the earth. In fact, seven out of 10 chapters in the New Testament address this, and the Old Testament is replete with the coming of Jesus to set up a kingdom on the earth. In the New Testament alone, there's over 300 specific references to both his first and his second comings. In the nature and purpose of his coming is what we're going to explore, among other things, this morning. Really, we've been doing that through this whole series. Uh, The scripture says in the book of Revelation that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, when you study prophetic portions of scripture, if you miss Jesus, you've missed it. It's really about him. So we're not just studying what God says about the future, for God alone knows the future. That's why the Bible alone has prophecy in it that has been fulfilled. There's no fulfilled prophecy in any other religious book. And just as God literally actually fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament realm, you can expect him to literally actually fulfill prophecy concerning the return of the Lord. And so Jesus, the last words spoken in the Revelation by him, is he said, yes, I'm coming quickly. And it's a word that means in the twinkling of an eye, you might say, to use Paul's metaphor, very quickly, suddenly, so fast, Wow, it will be here. To which John replies, Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. Now, as you read the Old Testament, as we've seen, sometimes in a single paragraph of Scripture, the whole career of the Messiah is unfolded, both his first and his second coming, where he comes as a suffering servant, but he also comes as a reigning king. And of course, God foreknowing Israel's rejection, not all Jews rejected Jesus, There's at least, conservatively speaking, somewhere between 25 and 30,000 Jewish believers in the early church. In fact, the early church initially at Pentecost, it was all Jewish people. 
But he came to his own, and his own received him not. And God, foreknowing that, God didn't abandon Israel. He is faithful to his promises. God right now is working through the church, through the body of Christ. The church not being an institution, but according to the New Testament, everyone who's been regenerated, everyone who's been born from above. And so between these two mountain peaks of prophecy, the first coming of Messiah and the second coming, suffering servant, Sovereign ruler is this valley in between, and we call it the church age. And one of these days, the church age will end, and God will switch places with a Gentile church, and it will be led in the future by Jewish people. During the coming tribulation, it will be the Jewish people who will evangelize the world and finish the Great Commission. And so this morning, I want to, to explore this coming time when Jesus will literally come to earth. I've entitled it, this is part two, when heaven comes to earth. Jesus will literally come to the earth, and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, last time, two weeks ago, I did an interim service last week because I wanted to ask and answer a question I've been bombarded with lately. But last time, in great depth, we covered the first five verses. I'll just briefly review it. But to give some flow of thought to our passage, I want to begin reading in verse 1 of Revelation 20. I hope you have found it by now. We read, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer." until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or in on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever. And ever. Six times in the span of seven verses, God mentions a thousand year reign. We call that in theological terms the millennium. There are many terms that we use in Christendom that come from Latin. Mille means a thousand annum year, so we speak of a thousand year reign. And the reason is because the Latin Bible was almost the exclusive translation used by the body of Christ for a thousand years. So there's a day coming. The Old Testament prophesies it. The New Testament echoes the same truth when the Christ, the Messiah, will literally come back and rule and reign for a thousand years. And so we even pray it. 
The Old Testament saints anticipated it, but Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Every year at Christmas, we typically read Christendom across the world, texts like Isaiah 9. And again, this is one of those passages where the whole uh, program of what the Messiah will accomplish is unfolded. For a child will be born to us. That's his first coming, the incarnation. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. That hasn't happened yet. When Jesus came the first time, he wasn't in charge of all the governments of this world. Not yet, but he will be. Jeremiah the prophet, in the 23rd chapter of his prophecy, speaks of Messiah's rule on earth. Listen to these words. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. That's never happened since they've been in the land. It's going to happen. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness, one of the titles for the Christ or in Hebrew, the Messiah. The apostles believed that the coming kingdom on earth would actually happen. And so if you remember on the Mount of Olives and the day Jesus ascended into heaven, they asked the question, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Jesus had just spoken about the coming spirit and his outpouring upon his people. Of course, these guys were sharp theologically, and they understood that in many Old Testament passages, the moving of the spirit of God on the people of God would happen during the coming kingdom. And so they ask a natural question, is this the time, Lord? that you're going to indeed have your kingdom that the prophets wrote of. And if there was ever a time for Jesus to say, no, there is no literal kingdom on the earth, I'm done with Israel, it would be now, but he doesn't say that. On another occasion, Peter, the spokesman, asked the Lord, he said, look, we've left everything to follow you. What can we expect in the future? And Jesus told his apostles, truly I say to you, you plural, you all, that you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Just as a believer is regenerated, he's made new, he is born again, the scripture speaks of a coming time when the creation, which also fell when man fell, will be regenerated, it will be restored. It's during the millennial reign of the Messiah. Peter, in Acts chapter 3, after Christ had ascended to heaven, preached this truth. He said, whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things. He's preaching about Jesus. He's ascended into heaven, and he's going to be there until, until the period of restoration of all things. This is the regeneration that Jesus just mentioned when the Messiah will literally rule on the earth, the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. He was just reminding them that in Moses and in the prophets that the Messiah will literally rule on the earth. And what's new here in Revelation chapter 20 is not the concept of the kingdom, but the length of the kingdom. Different Jewish rabbis in history have thought different amounts of time. Some said it would be 40 years long. Some said it would be 70 years long. One famous rabbi said it would be 400 years long. Another said it would be 7,000 years long. 
But what God reveals is no, it's actually a thousand years long. And this is the first time God reveals the length of the reign of Messiah on the earth. A thousand years. You say, is that literal? Of course it's literal. Contextually, it's literal. All the way through here, he's spoken of literal thrones, of literal angels, of literal martyrs, of Christ who is literal, of an antichrist who is literal, of a false prophet who is literal, of an image that men worship that was literal, of the number of the beast, 666, that is literal. And so the thousand years is literal. A thousand years means a thousand years. God says what he means. He means what he says. And unless the plain reading should lead you otherwise, you should take it at face value because that's how Christ and all the apostles interpreted the prophetic portions of Scripture. So God left within Scripture how to interpret the prophetic sections. But of course, we have biblical ignorance running at pandemic levels across America. Most pastors don't open the scripture on Sunday morning. Some of you are here for the first time. You thought, why do I need to bring a Bible? I've never needed one before. You need one here. We have slides for the benefits, especially of first coming and people and some things that I can illustrate a little more easily or some scripture that, well, by the time I read it and you found it, we'd be past it. And so we put some scripture up there for a reason. But you need to bring a Bible, and if you don't own one, come this evening to meet the pastor. But biblical ignorance is at pandemic levels. And so people think all this talk about a kingdom and a millennium and a thousand-year reign, you know, that's for theologians. That's not for me. No, it's for you. All Scripture is inspired by God. God wrote this for us. And God is going to speak of a coming time when what they had in Eden, in some sense, will be restored. Can you imagine what Eden was like? Can you imagine Adam and Eve telling Cain and Abel about how magnificent it was? They they couldn't overstate it. You can't exaggerate a perfect place. Maybe the boy said, hey, Dad, do you think we could ever live in a place like that again? Maybe Adam said, well, we lived there once until your mother ate us out of house and home. Yeah, we were there once, and... (laughs) Now, you can't, blame, you can't blame Eve. Eve, Paul says, was deceived, but Adam sinned with his eyes opened. He knew precisely what he was doing, and you can't blame Adam and Eve together because the Bible teaches the solidarity of the human race, and so Paul says in Romans five twelve, when Adam sinned, everybody sinned. You and I were in the loins of Adam, so we're not victims of Adam's sins. According to Scripture, we were participants with Adam. That's why we're born with this fallen, sinful nature. And so the Scripture teaches, though, there's coming a day where there'll be no more poverty, no more prisons, no more murders, no more hospitals, no more armies, no more abused children, no more mental institutions. And we will get a glimpse of what God intended for Adam and Eve and by application at us had not sin entered into the world. Isaiah writes of this coming millennial reign where he says in Isaiah 35, the deserts shall blossom as a rose. And Habakkuk the prophet said, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what we call the millennium. 
Now, if you were here two weeks ago, we began studying this great doctrine of Scripture from a time sequence. What happens at the beginning of the millennium? What happens during the millennium? And this morning, we're going to focus largely on what happens at the end of the millennium. Look again at verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. At the end of chapter 19, if you remember, the Antichrist and his false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. It's a reverse rapture, just like my body is not suited for heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This, <coughs> excuse me. This perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. Even so, a lost man's body is not suited for hell. He is not going to go in his natural body into hell if he were. He'd be exterminated in a second. Yet people in hell, as we will see, will experience literal pain and torment. Why? Because the scripture speaks not only of a resurrection of the just, but a resurrection of the lost. And so their bodies in a moment's time will be changed and cast into the lake of fire. They will be the very first two people in the lake of fire. Today, no one's in the lake of fire. No one is in Gehenna or what we call hell. Now, there is a place of torment they're in. It's called Hades. We're going to unfold this in the weeks ahead. But they'll be the first two recipients. So having dealt with two of the members in this unholy trinity where Satan takes the place of the father, the Antichrist takes the place of the son and the false prophet, the place of God, the Holy Spirit, who points men to Christ. The false prophet will point men to the Antichrist. Having dealt with two of the members, now he is at least for a time going to deal with Satan. Satan, who is described here in verse 1 as being taken hold of. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss in a great chain in his hand. This is an unnamed angel. And I think it's interesting that God would use an angel to accomplish this. It's just a reminder that Satan is not God's equal. And in some Christians' theology, they view Satan like he's omnipresent, like he's omniscient, that he's all-powerful, but he's not. He's a limited, created being, and God uses a simple angel in order to accomplish this locking up. Now, people will often say, well, why isn't he locked up already? Because God has a purpose, and we'll look at that this morning to some extent. God is a sinless God, and he can use, even in his sovereignty, sin in a sinless way. Luther had a lot of things right. He had some major issues wrong, but he was absolutely on target when he said, the devil is God's devil. In other words, Satan can't do anything but that which God allows. Verse 2, notice how he is described and what the angel does. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. There are many, many titles given to Satan. Here's four, the dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. And each name reveals something about his character. The dragon, he's looking for someone to devour. He is the serpent. He is looking for someone to deceive. He's called the devil. The word means to defame. He is looking for someone to defame. And he is Satan, which means he's our adversary. He's looking for someone to defeat. So Satan doesn't have the last word. The living God does. And so he's laid hold of and he's bound for a thousand years. This angel is empowered by heaven itself takes the devil, grabs hold of him, and throws him into the abyss for a thousand years. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, we studied that there are four places in which demons 
inhabit. There are those that Paul describes in Ephesians 6. We wage war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities that are at work in the heavenly places. Daniel 10 describes a war between different angels over different countries. They're at work in the heavenly places. There's a group of angels that committed such a heinous sin. They're in a place called Tartarus and eternal bonds, a subcompartment ultimately of hell. And then there are angels in the abyss. These angels are fallen angels who committed such a wicked thing. God doesn't give them freedom to taunt and to tempt man. And of course, we saw in our study of the Revelation a few years back that the abyss will be open. Well, during the thousand years, Satan will be put in the abyss. And of course, the final resting place for angels will be the lake of fire. But for now, just know that God is going to let this angel bind Satan so that he can deceive no one during this time. Right now, Satan is working. He's energizing the sons of disobedience. People say, well, the devil tempted me. I doubt it, maybe. He certainly has hosts of demons. But very often, all he does is he works in a few key instruments here and there who are energizing the world system, maybe some false theology, maybe some dirty movie, maybe some grotesque aspect of immorality. And he gets people across the world to feed on it with their sinful nature. And so today... Satan has a mission. He gets people to believe what's untrue. And so people create untruths. They speak untruths. They wear it on their clothing. They are deceived. And that's the nature of deception. But during this time, he'll be able to deceive no one. People who are deceived don't know they're deceived. That's why they believe it. They think they are believing what's true. And they'll fight you over it. Abortion is a woman's right. They're convinced it's true though their conscience at one time shouted at them that it was false. Transgenderism is right. Homosexuality is right. Living with someone to whom you're not married, it's right. That's what deception believes. And they think it's no big deal and God doesn't really care as long as I'm not hurting anyone. So Satan will be bound and so Christ's kingdom commences with, his incar- with him being incarcerated. Look at verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who've been beheaded because of their testimony. What testimony? They believed in Jesus. They refused the Antichrist. And they believed in Jesus because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And that's how people are saved. In any true movement of God, there should be preaching of the word of God. Singing is not a revival. Singing doesn't change lives. It's something that people should do in response to the word of God. But what we have seen taking place in Kentucky was no revival. Especially when you have gay people on the platform leading the music especially when you have false teachers who are being embraced and prayed over. That's no revival. That's a deception. And so because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast, that's the Antichrist, or his image. Remember, the Jewish people will have their eyes open. They'll think initially this Antichrist is their Messiah, but when he commits the abomination of desolation, God's Messiah would never break the Decalogue. 
And when there's an image that people are asked to worship, they will know he can't possibly be the promised one. And so these who are beheaded did not follow the Antichrist. They didn't worship at his image. They didn't receive the mark on their forehead or on their hand, 666. And they come to life and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. These who had been beheaded, martyred for the faith as earlier in the revelation unfolds, they are now raised up to life. This is the same group that's found in Revelation 6 and in chapter 7. And they paid the ultimate price for their faith. And if you know Jesus, you'll be willing to pay the ultimate price. Someone puts a gun to your head, deny Christ, you won't. Now, you might pray that God would miss fire, but you won't deny Jesus. They lost their heads. Guillotine or say Antichrist is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And they lost their heads. And so now they're raised. And there are different kinds of saints in the Bible. Remember, there's Old Testament saints. There are church saints. There are tribulation saints. There are millennial saints. And so the context must determine Not only will tribulation saints reign, church saints will reign. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 2. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, to be very clear, John also describes this other group who are mentioned kind of as a parenthesis of sorts in verse 5 to make it very clear that they will not reign. Look at verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. And so the first resurrection are made up of believers. We'll see in the weeks to follow, the second resurrection is made up of all unbelievers. And so their ultimate judgment will be at the end of the thousand-year reign of the Messiah. Verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for how long? For a thousand years. Twice over in verse 5 and again here in verse 6, John speaks of the first resurrection, which is obviously important to him. And only those who are blessed and holy are those who are part of the first resurrection. Now, don't miss the fact that if there's a first resurrection, that must mean there's a second resurrection. Now, last time we discussed what we call amillennialism or amillennialists. And they have come to the false conclusion based on the anti-Semitically driven Roman Catholic Church that God has done with the Jew. I did a sermon some years back and I just quoted Pope after Pope after Pope and their evil anti-Semitic remarks. Since the destruction of six million Jews, they're a little hesitant to come right out and say those things. But it is an anti-Semitically driven church. Their theology says God is done with the Jew. We, the Roman church, are king. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 026. 
One of the most difficult questions posed by both Christians and skeptics of Christianity is the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Dr. Brogy answers that question biblically and clearly by explaining the justice of God, the lostness of mankind, and the incredible power of the gospel in his book, Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? You can receive your own copy with a donation of any amount to search the scriptures. Please call 877-787-7478 to receive your copy today. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.